out there to all you listening to All Bodies Outside. This is Brian Peterson, and today I am super excited to have Dax Ross on the show. And Dax Ross, he's been working with the San Diego Mountain Rescue Team as a volunteer for over three years, and he's got a lot of uh, great experiences with trainings uh, and helping people out in that regard. Um, he also has been volunteering at the San Diego uh, 100 mile ultra marathon for a number of years. Um, the second reason that I was really excited to have Dax on the show is his intentional use of outdoor recreation activities, um, to bond with family and friends. And that's something that a lot of research has, uh, studied and showing positive effects. And so I, before I get going with the episode today, I wanted to summarize some of the research that has been found on strengthening of bonds using outdoor recreation activities. And so research shows family and friend outdoor recreation activities can promote positive communication, can promote strengthening of relationships, and can boost relationship satisfaction due to feeling more valued. Furthermore, it is increasingly recognized that interacting with nature promotes well-being and health, but also provides opportunities for emotional and cognitive renewal and relieving the negative physiological effects of various stressors and helps with developing a stronger sense of self. And so although that was a very dense summary of the research, one of the things that I'm really excited about, as I mentioned earlier, is to see how that is being put to use and, and practiced by Dax and his family and his friends. So Dax, great to have you on the show today. Thanks for joining. Hey, thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So as I mentioned in the introduction with you, you've been a part of the San Diego Mountain Rescue Team for three years and three months, actually. Um, what got gave you the itch to get started volunteering with the San Diego Mountain Rescue Team? Um, I really was into uh, the training of it. Um, I saw the flyer uh, at a rock climbing gym. I was bouldering. Uh, and I wanted to get more into, um, you know, wall climbing, sport climbing, getting outside. And, and this provided, I looked into this, the mountain rescue team and they do provide, um, some training that looked like they spent a lot of time outdoors and I wanted to help, uh, in a way that kind of aligns with, with my interests. I wanted to volunteer to do something that, um, you know, something, something outdoors. Um, initially I, uh, I got involved. I, I was interested in rescue. Do you, do you, were you friends with Ben Horn? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got to know Ben Horn at the PCT 50 miler back in maybe 2011, 2012. Um, so I, I got to interact with him then. And I also got to interact with him when Scott Jurek was in San Diego um, at a running store and, uh, he did a group run and Ben Horn was there as well. So I, I got to hang out with Ben those two times and that was it. Right. So he's such a cool guy. I did some runs with him. Um, and he talked a lot about his climbing. He was supposed to be on a run with us. Um, he went missing in Peru. He was climbing in Peru with his friend. And, um, I have, I have some mutual friends with Ben. Um, and he, he was going to be on a run with us. Um, when they actually, uh, we were doing the three peaks, San Jacinto, Baldi and Gorgonio. And I was running with a bunch of his friends. Um, and this was during the time he was missing. 
And we actually found out that they had found the body during this run. Um, so the reason I bring up Ben Horn was I, uh, there was a, a huge search effort for him and it looked like, uh, you know, there were some, some friend, climber friends of him at, at UCSD, some engineers who developed, developed some really high tech, uh, crowdsource search and rescue things. So that, that, that's what, when I initially became interested in search and rescue, um, was, was during Ben's search. And I just thought, um, wow, if, if there's something that, uh, that I can do that might help someone out in a situation like that, then I think it would be a, a, a fulfilling thing for me to do. Yeah, that was, you brought back a lot of memories just now, Dex. And I remember when Ben went missing in Peru and I, I didn't know Ben that well, um, but the technological uh, kind of software that his friends quickly produced. And so we were using satellite, live satellite imagery to search the area that we knew which peak he went up. And so we were using uh, satellite imagery um, and this is about 10 years ago. We're using satellite imagery to try to find any evidence of where Ben was footsteps, articles of clothing or anything. And I even got involved with that. Um, and that was something that was, was really interesting. So, wow, Dax, I hadn't thought about that in a long time. So that brought back a lot of memories of that situation. Right. And, um, I never knew that that was something that also was partly inspiring for you to join San Diego mountain rescue team. Um, but it's also, I, the, as you mentioned at the start of your explanation, the trainings that go into the San Diego mountain rescue team, uh, just seem like they're so cool. So what types of trainings do you all do with the San Diego mountain rescue team? Well, the, the mountain rescue team is a type one team, which means we have to be available and competent at any elevation, any weather. And I think we're expected to be able to be self-sufficient for uh, three days in any, any type of, uh, maybe two, maybe three nights. I can't remember, but, um, you know, so we have to be competent in the mountains, in snow, you know, even though it's San Diego, we still get called out. As you know, it snows. Um, we get called out in, to San Jacinto. There are a number of call outs to Mount Baldy. Um, and so, uh, it's called a mutual aid search when other counties request our county's team to go and help out in these situations. Um, so we have to be competent with, uh, rope, rope rescue techniques, um, snow, like glacier travel, ice axe arrest, things like that. Um, also we have to be competent in navigation. Um, basically we do, uh, medical, we all have to have a medical certification, wilderness, uh, first responder. So basically every month we spend a weekend out training somewhere in the wilderness usually Friday to Sunday. Uh, a big one out here is, is the desert training. So we, we do a desert training in August to, to see how we can handle the heat. So we know how much water we need. Um, so that's, that's a fun one. Uh, so every month, every weekend, uh, one weekend a month, we go out and we practice a different one of these, te these uh, techniques we have to be competent in. Not techniques, but uh, you know, it's the area of study. Um, so yeah, so January and February is usually snow training. 
we do hard snow, soft snow. We have to build snow, snow shelters and we have to stay overnight in the snow shelter. And then uh, we do a lot of technical rock training where we do um, systems that rescue people that you know, are, are useful for steep angle or high angle rescue. Uh, not just climbing stuff, but more about going over the edge and picking off a patient or um, putting a litter over the edge. We do uh, helicopter hoist training. Um, so yeah, so all of this is, is to say that the, the, I've taken so much from the training. Like I feel like I've taken more than I've given back. It's 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 been such a great opportunity to to learn all these skills, and it's all volunteer. And the people that lead the trainings are just really experts in the uh, in what they're teaching. You know, people have been doing this for 10, 20 years, and we have engineers on the team. They're just you know really smart people that, uh, that train us and it's been, yeah, it's been, it's been a great opportunity. And then the longer you stay on the team, the more of a teaching role you take, and then you give back to the new, uh, new recruits that come in or new members. Um, so that's, that's been fun too. How, how long has the, the longest member been on the San Diego mountain rescue team? I'm not sure the exact number, but I want to say over, 20 years. Wow. 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 Um, that's so they got a lot of knowledge, a lot more knowledge than I have. And these things that you've learned, these are things that I do not know how to do. Although I, I think they're very appealing, like, you know, making the snow shelters or developing these systems to rescue someone when they're on rock and whatnot. Um, there's, it seems like a lot of great opportunities there. I think I've seen also doing some stuff with repelling out of helicopters. Is that correct? Yeah, we do. We worked with the um, LA Sheriff's Department and did a hoist training because a, a lot of searches in, in remote areas, first of all, a lot of searches we do are just urban searches. They're not exciting at all. It's, it's, they're valuable. Um, it's, you know, a lot of them are for like an autistic kid that wanders off in an urban environment or um, an older uh, person with dementia wanders off. So that's, that's a lot of the searches. Those aren't the exciting, you know, Instagram picture things that, that uh, people post, but we do have to be ready to be inserted into the wilderness. So like helicopter trainings with uh, LA Sheriff's Department. So like, for example, a search in Baldy, they'll, they will hoist us up and insert us into a remote location. And it just saves a lot of time um, opposed to hiking in somewhere and doing the, uh, you know, spending a day getting to a location to start the search. Um, so that's, that's been, that's been fun. Uh, we, we did that on, it's in the Angeles National Forest. They have a, they have a pad out there, like a launch pad and they, they just hoisted us up, took us around a circle, hoisted us back down. Um, and we try to do that, try to do a helicopter training every year. Those guys were Cool. Really cool. Um, they do a lot of SWAT operations, uh, so they have a. I think I think they have a, like a headquarters or like a, a landing area in Compton and one at the top of Angeles National Forest where they can hang out. Okay. So it was interesting to to see the uh, the difference. Yeah, damn. that's that sounds like a lot of great stuff. Um, I had not thought about the fact that probably there are a lot of um, you know search and rescue 
um, I don't know. Do you guys call them missions, search and rescue missions in which like, they're not the most exciting, yeah. but they're definitely helping people out. Um, I not thought operations, about that. Yeah. Um, operations. There you go. Um, one thing I, I, I want to ask about those engineers. So are they, what's, are they just engineers in their everyday life or are they brought on as engineers? Kind of like if you're an engineer on a wildfire crew. That's their, it, it's, it's funny because there's, there seems to be a couple, a couple of careers that search and rescue att attracts. And one of them is engineer and that's just their, you know, their job. There's, uh, engineers and scientists for some reason. <laughs> I think, I mean, I understand the engineer, uh, but it's like, you know, we have a couple of guys that uh, are like aerospace engineers. It's just the, the way their, oh, wow. um, their brain works. It just makes them, uh, great teachers and experts in, you know, some of the rope systems, they're not, mm -hmm. it's not as complicated as aeros aerospace engineering, but it's, for me, it's, it's pretty complicated. <laughs> it would be for me too. Uh, so I, I want to continue hearing about some of these trainings with um, what I've seen you all doing out in the Sierra Nevada. Um, I think that was it this past, maybe late summer, you went up and did pulmonium peak together. Yeah, so that's that's probably my favorite training of the year. Um, it's just called mountain climbs, and they're usually smaller groups. So it's not, you know, our team is, you know, 50, 60 people. Um, we get the training, you know, maybe 30 people, 20 people, depending on availability. Um, the July training is in the Sierra, and it's a small group, you know, four or five people. And it's basically um, around January, you, you pick a mountain you want to climb. We pull a bunch of permits for, you know, four or five different mountain climbs for the month of July. And so you just kind of pick an objective and then it's kind of the chance to go into the mountain and to put all these skills that you've been training to use. Um, nice. So, yeah, this last July, I actually did two uh, mountain climbs with the team. One of them, one of them was uh, Sill and Polymonium. Um, and that was, that was amazing. Um, and the other one was... Uh, Mount Ritter, the uh, oh, yeah. north face of Mount Ritter. And that was that was great too. So it's just usually a weekend, uh, two or three days. Have you done Have you done Ritter? Have you been out there? No, but I, I was actually going to ask you about Ritter. I've I've been around the base of Ritter a lot. Um, the Sierra High Route goes right by Ritter and Banner. I've been um, I have scrambled around on Ritter a little bit uh, as part of that. But was Mount Ritter first? Was the first ascent by John Muir? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I that's read what up I on that. He talks about there's um, the route that he took up is the same route we did. I think it's a third, some fourth class climbing. And he writes okay. about hanging on and just like holding on for dear life. It kind of freaked me out reading his, his uh, account of it. And I can't imagine, you know, these first ascents are crazy because you don't really know. You don't really... <laughs> There's no way of reading, you know, you don't know the beta. There's no, there's no, there's no history here. You're just going up there and he probably had like wool pants and like, I don't know, <laughs> definitely not uh, mountaineering boots. That's right. That's what I was thinking. He didn't have shoes on that have sticky rubber. He probably had shoes on that had wood bottoms. I got to imagine that are pretty slick actually. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, yeah. So the, climbing that and thinking of, you know, the, the, the equipment yeah, and the things that have changed as far as, uh, as preparation and equipment. I, I, I can't imagine doing something like, cause I'm, I'm the kind of guy I'm going to go read 
as much as I can about a route. Um, you know, I'll, I'll read the books, I'll read Mountain Project. Uh, I'll have, you know, I'll have the app, I'll have CalTopo or SarTopo and I'll have the line drawn. So I know I'm staying on route. You know, I'm, I'm doing as much as I can to, uh, as much beta as I can. And I, I, I can't imagine doing uh, like first ascent without knowing anything. Yeah, that, and you know, Mount Ritter and today you have access to Red's Meadow. If, if something were to happen, Red's Meadow is maybe five or six miles away. Yeah. Something like that. And so, you know, if, if an emergency did happen, at least you can, if say, if you broke an ankle, you can hike out to Red's Meadow. John Muir doing this, uh, you know, probably in the late 1800s or so. I don't know if Red's Meadow, if he would, if an emergency happened, he's pretty far in there by himself. Uh, so I couldn't imagine doing it either. It's pretty wild. Um, but yeah. those peaks that you mentioned for your trainings, uh, Sill, Pulmonium, Ritter, those are all 14ers. Am I correct? I'm not sure. I don't think Ritter's a 14er is close, but um, Sill and Pulmonium are. They're in part of that. Uh, there's a Thunderbolt to Sill Traverse. That is, uh, that's, that's my objective this year, if, if all goes well. And that, that's five uh, 14ers on a ridge. I think it's only about, you know, like a mile on the ridge and you, you can summit these five peaks all in one go. Um, wow. And that's kind of one of the classic Sierra climbs. It's really, really hard um, as far as route, hind route finding and, uh, you know, altitude adjustment and all of that. But it's something that has been on my, my list for a while. Um, and I, that's, that's what I'm hoping to do this year, this July. Nice. That sounds like a lot of fun. That sounds like a lot of fun. So which, um, when you all are doing these trainings, how technical are y'all getting on these routes? I mean, are they like five tens? Are you going beyond that? How, how technical are they? They're not, um, the ones I've done have been fourth class, uh, a few fifth class portions where the leader will, um, rope up and we'll all rope up and, and someone will lead sections of the route, place, place protection into the rock and then belay the followers up. And um, we did that on, we did on some of Polymonium. Um, a couple of people in the group were, were roped in and then I roped in descending Polymonium. And they say that's a fourth class route, but it's fourth class with a, a lot of uh, exposure, a lot of risk. Um, mm. Fourth class, like you slip or something and, and you're falling, uh, basically you're falling to your death. So so just to, to play it safe, even on that fourth cl class stuff, it, it's it's not super technical. It's like, you know, huge, huge uh, holds, good, good feet. Um, but some of that you just, you feel more comfortable roped in just because it's just because it's such high risk. Uh, we haven't done anything. I members of the team go out and do uh, more technical climbs, like five seven, five eight. We were talking about doing the uh, Swiss Arette on Mount Sill this year, but the group was just kind of there. We didn't have enough time, and we wanted to hit um, Sill and Polymonium, so we didn't do that route. I think that's a five seven. Uh, I don't think we'd ever um, do anything more than like a five ten in the Sierras. But the way that the way the Sierra is rated is like, you know, you're doing a five, seven and 
it's it's old school ratings. Like a five seven is is pretty solid. It's not it's not your climbing gym uh, five seven ladder. It's it's it can be pretty tough. Yeah, and the Sierra definitely has that that reputation. Um, outside, have you ever done? And I don't I don't know if you would have done this for the San Diego Mountain Rescue Team, but have you ever gone over to? Um, through Bridgeway to Twin Lakes and done Matterhorn Peak. No, I haven't. Okay, I'm gonna. I'm I'm looking to do that one this summer as part of a, a an off trail backpacking route. Um, Matterhorn Peak Is that from the east. Mm, I'd say it's more central. Um, I would say it's more central, Sierra. Um. Let me see here. I'm looking at a map and I, I mean, I guess it's still East. It's, it's about the same. Yeah. It's, it's East Sierra. It is. It's just further North. Um, it's North of Mono Lake or Mono Lake, however you like to pronounce it. Um, okay. but it's up in the Hoover wilderness. Is that kind of help at all? Not really. I'm pretty bad with names. <laughs> I, I do these climbs. And I, I people ask me where I, you know, what the trailhead was, and I, I can't remember, like, because everything kind of like there's always a lake, like North Lake, or <laughs> and yeah, I, yeah, I, I'm bad with recall. Let's see if I can do it. Yeah, let's see if I can pull a map up here. Um, let's try that out. Okay, so all right, so let's just zoom out to get some relativity here. Okay, so you got 395 right here, so that's always a good marker. Mono Lake, and then you got Bridgeport right here. And from Bridgeport, you can drive this road into Twin Lakes, and there's a trailhead right there. You can see there's a lot of activity right there, but um, Matterhorn Peak is right here, so you got to hike up, hike south right here from Twin Lakes over to Matterhorn Peak. And did you ever read Dharma Bums by Jack Kerouac? Yeah. It's been a while. So it's I, don't, this, I don't remember it as well. Yeah. So, and I, I reread it recently and this is part of what's inspired me to go to Matterhorn Peak. Um, you have Jack Kerouac climbs up Matterhorn Peak at the start of that with Gary Snyder. Um, and they go up Matterhorn Peak. And so I'm going to do a route. I'm looking to do it next summer, right? do a big loop like this and come back to Twin Lakes and I'll come up and over Matterhorn Peak and then kind of descend down to the trail there. Um, but so nice. far I haven't looked into any beta about that. So I was, that's why I right. asked you, I was like, well, maybe Dex knows something about that, but it is further north to get to. And I know that um, there's so much to do on the Southern Eastern Sierra that, you know, you could spend your whole lifetime exploring that area. Yeah. Do you have Secord's so book, Peaks Passes? Yes. Yes, that one. one's really helpful. I'll, I haven't looked. You're right. I, that one is the the ex like that Seeker's book. He is just an expert on every little detail and facet and place in the Sierra. And so, yeah, I need to look in there for Matterhorn Peak, and that'll probably be an early August trip of 2023. Um, but yeah, nice. absolutely, that's the place to look. Yeah. Oh, side note. So, Ryan, on top, are, you, are you pacing Paul yeah. at Hard Rock this year? Yeah, I sure am. Nice. You gonna be there? Yeah, I'm not gonna be there. Um, 
I, oh, yeah. I messaged him when he got in. I'm like, do you need a pacer for like one to two miles? And he just laughed at me. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. Yeah, he, he asked me to pay some and uh, I am absolutely in. I'm super excited for Paul. Uh, it's been quite a journey for him to get into hard rock. He's been trying forever. Uh, and so I, I, I know I texted him when he first got his name pulled in the lottery and he said that he kind of teared up a little bit because he was so happy they got into hard rock. Uh, yeah, so yes, yeah, awesome. so I'll be out there uh, in July. And right now I'm trying to figure out what hundred mile race I'm going to do this summer. I need to do um, a qualifier for hard rock too. Um, and so I'm going to put my name in. There's that newer hundred mile race that's in the Buena Vista area of Colorado called High Lonesome West. Uh, and I'm going to put my name in for that lottery. That lottery is open from, I believe, January 2nd to about January 11th. It's just this small gap. And then on January 13th, they pull the names. And I've heard it's pretty tough to get into that race. So I'm going to put my name in for that lottery. If I don't get into that lottery, I'm either going to do Run Rabbit Run out of Steamboat Springs in Colorado or Mogollon mm -hmm. Monster in Arizona. Um, yeah. Mogollon really calls me a lot, but Run Rabbit Run is within driving distance of Kansas. Where I guess anything is within driving distance. Mogollon Monster is within driving distance, but it would be a two-day drive. Whereas right. Run Rabbit Run is about eight and a half, nine-hour drive, and I can just do that in one day. Um, so I'll end up probably doing that race. Nice. So awesome. transferring, transferring away from the San Diego mountain rescue team. And that was a great conversation hearing about how that works and whatnot. I also want to hear about when I, when I think of Dex, I think of someone who just loves outdoor recreation activities, but you've done so much with outdoor recreation activities. Um, you know, you've done a lot of volunteering at the San Diego 100. You once started a big a trail marathon that got too big to handle and i don't know what happened to it i think it just got too big um i believe you've started a running club um you, and you also do just a lot of great stuff with your family i know you and beckett did the mountaineers route recently um uh, i think this past summer up uh mount whitney and so what got you first identifying that going out and doing these outdoor recreation activities is just a fantastic way to bond with your family members and friends um and then also you know all the great health benefits mental and physical that come with being out in nature when did you first start realizing that that was such a strong factor and also just a big piece of your relationships um it started when i you know for me it was when i first started kind of exercising i didn't i wasn't a very active adult i ran in high school but then i i didn't really run or do anything until I was probably about um, like early 30s, 2005. Um, wow. And for me, it was like, I want to do this stuff. And it was just, it was, I found that it was better and easier for me to, to do it if I had people I was uh, doing it with. So, yeah, I mean, it, the social aspect it, it is kind of, it's kind of a selfish thing. Like, it, I started with triathlon, and you know, these long training rides are so boring. But if you if you're riding with someone else, and you can just talk and you know, just BS, and it, it makes it go a lot faster. Um, and then it became like I started making these friends. Um, it seemed like all my friends were, and I, I think it's something, especially about running, 
like when you run with someone and you share it's you know there's there's a lot of not so good times when you're running it's 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 a tough sport but when you're sharing that with someone else and a lot of stuff comes up i i think um you know a lot of people say they're that exercise is therapy and i i I think we all have some level of anxiety, depression. I, I've talked to you about like racing and stuff and how um, there's anxiety there. Um, I think we all have a little bit of that. And I think the bonds that I've made through through running and through and being outdoors with people, um, I've just been able to, to open up to those people like training partners in a way that I haven't with, um, you know, real, real therapists, let's call them. Um, it's, I don't know what it is. Um, it's just something that when you're sharing that, that, uh, you know, the, the, the suffering, um, we were talking about Paul Jesse earlier and, you know, I, I've had just deep conversations with a lot of these people. Paul and I did, um, John Muir trail together and, you know, you just, you're out there so far away from civilization and, and, and like the stress of everything. I, it's just something just clicks and, and you just create these, these bonds with, with people that, um, they're unlike, um, any other, you know, except for, except for family, it's like, unlike any other, um, friendships I've had. Um, it's, I, I feel like they're very special and I just, I appreciate those. So it, that made me want to share that with more people. Um, you mentioned the, the, the marathon that got, that got too big because, uh, the little trails around here, I, it was a, it was a, illegal trail race, no permits, no insurance. I'm lucky that nothing bad happened. Nothing terribly bad happened. Um, we, we did have some falls and some teeth knocked out, but luckily I, I didn't get sued or anything. Oh, that's um, right. So the Rangers came down because that, that did become too big. Um, if I look back on pictures was that, that and those of like all my, all my best friends, um, yeah, able to share that with my best friends. I, I met you through running. I remember, I, yeah. I think, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, uh, I met you at the the first Kuyamaka 100K. Yep, exactly. Okay. So I'm like, this guy's wearing really short shorts. He's going to win the race because I feel like serious runners, the shorter the shorts are, the more serious they're at. They are. So I'm like, you gotta say hi to this. <laughs> There's <guy."> a really <laughs> not just because you look good oh, in short shorts, funny. although you did. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, not so much anymore. I don't know about ever, actually, but I like that, though. There's a relationship in the seriousness that you take your running and the shortness of your shorts. And I got to say, I think I was a fan of the, those three-inch shorts for a long time, and I'm, I'm down to about seven-inch shorts now. So Yeah. No, I'm wearing capris now. Like, I'm, I'm wearing, like, I'm running in pants. That's how serious I am. <laughs> oh, that's great, though. And, and one of the things I mentioned earlier, too, is um, I, I love that you you – have opened up a lot of opportunities to the public too. Um, even if, you know, you, it, it's a race that you put on yourself and something that was more so just meant to be a neighborhood. I think it was a 4th of July event, right? Where it's just kind of meant at first to bring some people together around the 4th of July, do something healthy for a little bit before all the eating and drinking. And yep. I was there that year where a lady, I think it was a lady, she just caught her toe. And it's just one of those things that happens. It could happen to any of us, caught her toe and face planted. Uh, you know, she sprung herself forward and face planted right onto a rock and it was pretty bad. And so was that pretty much the moment right there where it was like, this is, you know, insurance might be a good thing or maybe I should stop doing that. Yeah. That, that scared me. Um, I knew she, Melissa, she's a friend and she was so awesome. And she was like, 
she wanted to keep going. Like I was like, no, nah, you need to, you need to take care of this. Um, I think she maybe broke her finger too. Um, she was like one of the toughest people I know. Um, but yeah, that, that was kind of a reality check where it's like, you know, this is, this is expanded beyond just a, a handful of really close friends that won't sue me. <laughs> and then I also used to do the, the new year's day run. And I think you were there for one or two of those maybe. Um, and that got just, that was just too big for the, the trails to handle. And I would get the Rangers. I, it became really big one year where, you know, I, I invited people then it just grew and like other people invited people. And so I think there were like a hundred people out there in Elfin forest. And then subsequent years, um, Rangers would call me like the week before the race or before the run. They're like, you're not doing this this year, right? You're not doing this. We'll be out there. You can't do them. Like, I promise I'm not, I'm, I'll be out there with my family, but that's it. Um, but I loved, no. go ahead. I was going to say family can constitute a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. The running family is big. It's, it's yeah, that's big. right. Well, they, 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 they definitely seem to, to know who you, you are um, and whatnot. Now, another event, and I don't know if you kept this one going too, was uh, your vertical beer mile. Uh, and recently a, a video of that resurfaced 10 years later. Um, and I remember I, I did that one year and I think I, I that resulted in a two day hangover. It took 48 hours <laughs> to wash myself away, to get all that toxins out of my body. Have you done any more beer trail beer miles, vertical beer miles since then? Yes. So I, I'm not organizing these anymore. I've kind of handed that off. I have, um, we have a kind of a new generation of runners in San Alejo and these guys are like, it's, it's so cool to see because they're, some of these guys are like really fast, great runners, and they're so inclusive and welcoming of everyone, which that's always what, what I've, I've tried to do. Um, I think running is, can be an inclusive sport and, you know, it's, it's boring if it's just like old white guys like me. Um, so these guys kind of, they took the reins and we do, they put on two beer miles on the trail, not vertical. Um, I just wrote about that actually, because that, what a stupid idea that was like a vertical beer mile to go up and then come down after four beers on a kind of technical trail. <laughs> right. There's a picture right. of you with your shirt over your head in that video. Um, so yeah, that was, that was a one, that was a one time thing, but, um, we do a trail beer mile that's flat and, um, that's, that's a great time, but I, you know, twice a year is, is enough. That is a, that's a, like ruins your day, probably ruins the next day, but super fun when it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I definitely you know what you're talking about with running downhill with my shirt over my face and luckily not catching a toe and face planting. <laughs> Right. That would have been good. Uh, so and what about with, so this is like a lot of great stuff that you've done with the local area, with your friends, with your family, and, and also, you know, just expanding and rippling out from there. Um, what about with your family though? It seems like when you travel with your family, you go to all these different national parks. You recently went to Joshua Tree National Park with your wife. I think you were at Acadia National Park uh, not too long ago. And it seems that you always find a way to weave in some hikes or some runs or some rock climbing with your son and daughters. Um, is that an intentional thing or is that just something the family just loves to do? It's, it's definitely intentional and I'm sneaky like that. Um, I really, it's, it's again, it's like, it's selfishness for me. I, I, I love doing this stuff. Um, I love climbing, hiking. Um, 
surfing, like all that stuff. And I try to find a balance of forcing it too much on my family. Um, but I'll try to weave it into, uh, any, any vacations we take or any trips we take. Um, luckily like my son and my wife have both really come to love rock climbing. So it's not, it's not a hard sell for them. And my oldest daughter is, is funny because I, I, I feel like I pushed her. I, I made the mistake of pushing her too far or too hard when she was younger. Uh, cause I just loved running so much. I'm like, my kids are going to love running. They're going to be great runners. So I kind of made that mistake with her just pushing it to the point where she hated it. I mean, she ran, she ran cross country in high school, but she had the same issues that I did in high school where just, uh, it's, it, the anxiety would hit me before a race. So I think it's, a, you know, you, you have to find that line with family of, of pushing that on them and, or, uh, backing off a little bit and just saying, Hey, you know, we're going to, my wife and I just went to Palm Springs. Like, um, she wanted to go climbing, but you know, if the family was these, some of these family trips, like let's, let's do something, you know, you just go to the spa or the pool for a day. And then maybe the next day we'll go, um, we'll find a good trail. And my family knows that, uh, that actually is, is, it's good for them too, because if I don't do something like that and if I'm cooped up, I not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm a much friendlier person. If I am doing something, if I'm incorporating something in the outside, something outdoors in a trip, um, if I'm cooped up all day, or if I'm doing like a normal tourist thing with a big crowd of people, it's, it's not good for them. It's not good for me. Um, I have, I have some, some issues with that. I need my, my outdoor therapy. Absolutely. And you know, as I've gotten older and gotten into my forties. Uh, when I was younger, I always wanted to just push for these really hardcore adventures and go find like some really steep, rocky terrain to be on and whatnot. But one of the things that I actually really love a lot about our guys trip that we do annually, uh, is we don't push to go too hardcore. Actually. I find that I, I end up having more conversations that way. Um, cause when it gets into being, you know, really tricky terrain and whatnot, like sometimes some, it, people can get spread out and like you do bond over that adventure without a doubt. But I actually have really come to enjoy just doing adventures where I can pay if it means walking for a couple miles to catch up with someone and just kind of focus on nature and catch up with each other and focus on each other. Like I've come to really love that a lot. And that's something that I love a lot about our guys trip is we don't push for going hardcore. We actually push for these kind of achievable, fun little adventures that we can all, everyone can do. They're inclusive of everyone, regardless if you've ever been mountain biking before um, or if you're a good runner or whatnot. And it's, I think that that's something that is a lot of fun. And it's something that uh, as I've gotten older too, I don't focus, you know, as I mentioned on those hardcore runs. And I, I see that with when I offer up to try to do something outdoorsy with my new family, uh, wife and stepkids, it, it's something that's a lot more achievable. And a lot of times it can just be, let's go for a two mile walk at the local park and we end up having a great time. We'll bring a football and throw it around. And, um, I sometimes forget to, I don't have to go and do this like, you know, hardcore thing, but I can also do a very simple and achievable outdoor recreation activity. Um, and there's one thing earlier Dex that, uh, you brought up with running and running. I get a lot of anxiety from running too. And I remember growing up as a kid, I played a lot of soccer. I played on the travel soccer team, very competitive soccer. And I did a lot of running. 
Yet I would never get nervous and anxious at the start of soccer games. But for every single race, I get nervous and anxious. And racing can be tough on that anxiety without a doubt. Uh, but the other day I heard something that I thought was really, really cool. And a, just a great inclusive statement that for running. And this person said that, hey, if you go running once, you are a runner. You are, you are a runner just like everyone else regardless of how far you go, what pace you go, how often you go. If you go running, you're a runner. And I think that, you know, sometimes people think of running and especially since we talk about ultra running a lot, like you got to be doing those long, hard distances. But I, I love the inclusivity of that statement of, hey, if you go running, well, you're a runner. I think that's awesome. 100%. I agree with that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, yeah. All right. So, Dax, as we're we're finishing up here, I wanted to re-go over this this dense research statement that I said earlier, in which was research shows family and friend outdoor recreation activities can provide can promote positive communication. Um, and I think I think that's definitely checked. That box is checked, and I think you've seen that before. Promoting positive communication, and that would be. You know, probably when you're out in nature, you're, 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 you're at ease, you're disconnected, and that helps with positive communication. Um, it can also promote strengthening of relationships. I think there's a lot of ways that outdoor recreation activities can strengthen relationships. Sense of accomplishment, sense of just doing something together, spending extra time together, spending extra time together in a disconnected way. I think that's something that uh, we've both seen a lot. Um, and uh, outdoor recreation activities can boost relationship satisfaction due to feeling more valued. And I think with that, one thing that's really excellent is when, say, you and I are out on our guys trip and, uh, you know, we are riding mountain bikes next to each other and we're, we're catching up to each other and we're chit-chatting and whatnot. Well, yeah, I'm going to feel more valued in that friendship because we got to catch up. And I think that that's the same for family relationships as well. So that research makes sense to me. Continuing on. Furthermore, it is increasingly recognized that interacting with nature promotes well-being and health, uh, which we're both very well aware of. And I think that there's a big mental component to that. There's a lot of research out there that shows ways that nature helps decrease anxiety, decrease stress, all kinds of stuff of just being out in nature. So that's definitely a great piece of research. Um, outdoor recreation also provides or sorry, nature also provides opportunities for emotional and cognitive renewal and relieving the negative physiological effects of various stressors, which I think I just kind of talked about and helps with developing a stronger sense of self. And so that last part's actually more so a personal one uh, on a one-to-one -one basis. And I know for me, uh, just getting out, kind of what you were mentioning earlier, getting out and being able to spend some time outside, whether it's with people or by myself, I tend to then take the rest of the day uh, a better stride. And so if I got to go out to the mall and go shopping, uh, all those big crowds is, aren't something that I really look forward to. But if I have that run uh, in the morning or a mountain bike ride in the morning or hike in the morning, I go out to a, a crowded place like that, like I probably feel a little bit more connected with myself for the day. So I think that research lines up pretty nicely. Yeah. Okay, Dax. Well, hey, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. Um, for our next guys trip, we're going to be out in Bend, Oregon. I'm really excited to get back to, uh, some mountain biking with y'all and hopefully we can find some, some scramble routes out there or at least some, um, some bouldering that we can do. So I'm really There's excited for that. So, Hey, there. thanks yeah. again. Yeah, it's going to be cool. Um, and I've never been to Bend. Have you been to Bend? No, it's my first time. Okay, great. That's great. Yeah, we're going to have a fantastic time. All right, Dax, thanks again. I'm going to throw on the outro music and we'll call it an episode. Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it.
Miss you, man. You're welcome. Yeah, miss you too.